Hubhopper Originals. To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com. So the pandemic has changed our business completely, actually, and uh, interestingly, it's it's taken us in a good direction. It's taken us in a in a very interesting direction, actually. So when the pandemic hit. march april last year honestly our sales obviously tanked like who wanted to buy a handbag in the beginning of the pandemic right like nobody was yeah. going out everyone's conserving money as well and you know obviously this is more of a luxury item so why would anybody you know waste mm. uh, spend money in buying that so obviously our sales tanked and what i saw is that while you know sure i can keep investing in money and we can keep running the business but our artists our artist partners were really struggling more because mm. uh, obviously we weren't giving them enough work but they, we're not you know they obviously you know sell their paintings also which is which is quite important uh, overall in their livelihood but uh, no paintings were being sold at that time because yeah. no exhibitions were happening there was no tourism and those are the two main channels for being able to sell paintings right and that's when we thought okay we need to think of something which can help you know not just uh, reinvent ourselves but kind of you know enable us to make sure that the artist partners we have we can actually make sure that you know we can help we can generate revenue for ourselves and for them right so when i thought about okay what's our biggest asset the fact is that our artists are our biggest assets right like their talent the fact that they've been doing this over generations people want to see it people want to like experience mm. that is actually you know what the biggest asset we have so we launched um, online art workshops with our artists actually in the yeah. beginning of pandemic in april last year in fact the first workshop was literally my family i told everyone and my family is all across the world i told everyone that you have to you know pay for this workshop and sign up and and join this workshop and paint along with the artist and learn from the artist because this mm-hmm. will help figure out how to position you know create these online workshops basically and since then there's literally been no looking back we've done over yeah. 400 workshops um, in this period wow um, by wow. thousands of people across the world a lot from india but a lot from across the world as well a lot from the us uk you know even australia hong kong a little bit singapore france you know you name the country and i think we would have had attendees from that country hello and welcome to the success with savita podcast where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind i'm your host savita nanjappa entrepreneur high achieving 9 to 5er turn transformational success coach helping you create a wildly successful business come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips resources how to's and real talk side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day Hi and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast and today's segment is called From the Ground Up where we talk to founders about how they grew their business from scratch how they found their product market fit how did they scale what was the behind the scenes like what challenges did they face what were the strategies that worked for them what didn't work and joining me for the segment today is my guest Yosha Gupta She's the founder of Me Miraki and before we get started actually I met her about a month ago on a panel that we were on for sipping thoughts and I was so inspired by everything that she shared about how to deal with challenges how to deal with the challenges not just in entrepreneurship but also in the workplace dealing with people leadership and everything she said resonated with me which is why I think she's a wonderful guest and she's here to share with us how she grew 
Mimiraki. Mimiraki is India's first culture tech platform using technology to empower and accelerate the artisan creator economy with a mission to digitize every heritage art and craft of India to ultimately create sustainable livelihoods for artisans while unlocking creative human potential globally. They are reimagining the future of the artisan creator economy. Their work has been covered across media outlets like Forbes, SCMP, Tatler, Apple Daily, Hindu, Indian Express and more. Yosha was previously the founder and CEO of a cashback app with over 1 million downloads in India, backed by 500 startups, Vector Ventures, Facebook's FB startup program, as well as Cyberport startup program in Hong Kong. Yosha has spent 15 years in the fintech sector and worked across Asia as a financial inclusion consultant with CGAP and IFC World Bank Group and also done projects with IDEO and the Gates Foundation. She is a regular speaker at digital and payments events as well as advisor to startups. Yosha was appointed to the Diversity List 2018 for Hong Kong, which aims to give ethnic minorities of Hong Kong a voice in decision-making and policy, particularly in government advisory bodies. She was awarded Most Influential Payments Professional by World BFSI Congress and Awards 2018 India. Join me as she shares with us how she built me Miraki from the ground up. Hi, and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. And in this segment, we call it From the Ground Up, where we talk to founders uh, about how they build their businesses from day one to where they are now. And with me today is my guest, Yosha Gupta. Yosha, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And it's my honor as well. So thank you for your time and for showing up today for our podcast interview. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And with that, I know we have a lot to uh, get through. Before we started this interview, I was just telling Yosha that I was reading her bio and I I was like, my God, I have so much to ask her. So with that, Yosha, tell us, uh, let's start with your journey because you had very interesting, you went from FinTech and now you're in the art yeah. world. So share with us your journey so far. And mm-hmm. of course, why you started Me Miraki. Yes, thank you for asking that. I mean, yeah, it's I guess Mimiraki is something. It's very, it's it's a venture very, very close to my heart. But mm-hmm. I've spent fifteen years working in fintech across Asia. I've lived in Hong Kong for twelve years. I've literally just moved to Australia, and I've worked with the World Bank Group as a consultant, fintech consultant with you know IFCC Gap, done projects with the Gates Foundation, and and lots of lots of interesting work. And I've also run a fintech startup before this, a cashback startup, uh, which was in India while I was based in Hong Kong, and you know run it from Hong Kong, and I raised venture capital money for it as well. But I think, uh, uh, strangely enough, art is something, uh, while I haven't studied art, I don't come from an art background, but it's always something that I've been very drawn to, and especially traditional art. In fact, I, I still remember the story. My mom tells me the story very often. And when I was a kid and she was buying a Madhubani painting and she was negotiating with that artist. And I got so angry that I started crying that, you know, stop negotiating. And I ended up make, making her pay more than what the artist was even asking for. So I think some things in life just kind of, you know, they, they come full circle that I always loved art. It's uh, especially, like I said, traditional art and heritage art and culture. It's something which always, you know, always has drawn me. Uh, I was part of like the Indian Classical Music Society in my in my university in Lady Shriram College. 
uh, I actually thought I should probably pursue fine arts because I was an okayish artist. I was at least really good at copying, even if I didn't come up with very original creations. But yeah, so I think it's always been a part of me, and I've been a volunteer for an organization called Spikmaki, Society for Promotion of Indian Classical Music and Culture amongst youth, who actually work with you know traditional artists all across India in schools and universities. So when I moved to Hong Kong twelve uh, years ago, I actually started the Spikmaki chapter there. I went to all the universities, introduced the concept to them, and we actually used to invite artists to come from India to perform in Hong Kong very often, literally every year. And I think we must have organized more than 50, 60 events attended by thousands mm-hmm. of people. And this was all part of, you know, of my love for the arts, right? Like I was spending time, effort and money in organizing all of this. So I think, like I said, Mimiraki came together as, you know, a completely uh, a, a love child, literally, of, of my love for art. And uh, how it happened is that uh, I got a Gucci handbag of mine hand-painted by a Madhubani artist. And people in Hong Kong, they liked it so much. They were like, oh, is this a limited edition Gucci? And I'd be like, yeah, very limited. Only I have it. No one else in the world has it. And that literally got the conversation going. And people started asking me about it. And I thought, it looks like, you know, there's actually a space for these arts in, in new yeah. ways. And something that can be done about it. And it's not like they're fading away because people don't like it. It's because A, people don't know about it. And B, people don't find it in formats that's easily that can be easily integrated into their contemporary lifestyle, right? So I think that was, you know, literally the sort of starting point of Nimiraki. And, and you know, we, we just sort of launched it from there. And I think the beautiful thing about it is it, it, it brings together my love for art combined with, you know, my career in tech and fintech, you know, so it, it brings that together really nicely. And, and I've done a lot of impact focused work with the World Bank group. So I think it brings all of the things that I deeply care about really nicely. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be building it. Yeah. So moving on to my next question, it's very interesting that you did fintech. Mm-hmm. And you don't call me Miraki just like, you know, your business where you're helping artisans, you're saying it is a kind of culture tech, it's, it's yeah. art tech. So, yeah. There is a technology aspect to this. Can you share a little bit more about when you started? So you had this idea, you decided to start it. What were some of those um, early stage thoughts that you had before you actually rolled out or launched out Mimiraki? Sure. Uh, just one small thing I'd like to point out. I don't. We don't like to say help our artisans, honestly, because it's an equal okay. partnership, right? We co-create with them. They are as much a part of this business. You know, we won't exist without them, actually, mm-hmm. right? But then using the word help kind of puts us puts us a little, you know, above them in the chain. But that's not true, actually. They're equal partners. So sure. yeah, we can never use that word, actually. Um, so what were the early thoughts? I guess. Uh, you know, initially we started off as uh, because I'd gotten my handbag painted and that's what people really liked. So I thought, okay, maybe that's the launch idea that we start with hand-painted handbags. Mm-hmm. But with every bag, it'll be about, you know, storytelling that we shine the spotlight on the artist, on the art, on the on the history of the art, on the story of the actual motive, which is on the bag. And with every bag, we would give these beautiful postcards, which tell all of that story, actually, and the story of the artist as well. So that, you know, it brings that recognition and respect for that artist also, right? In fact, I remember a lot people told me oh don't share your artist's name with people because you know others will also start going to them and I was like honestly the only reason I'm doing this is because I want this to be a venture where you know people get to know more about these art artists and arts right and as long as I'm giving enough business and work then why why would they have to go to anyone else right that's the only way of people you know keeping people working more with you if you keep generating enough work and if I'm not generating enough work then sure they're free to go to anyone and work with anyone else as well right so I think the initial thoughts were always about 
uh, because I came from a tech background, I didn't want to go the route of, you know, selling through a retail store and stocking my product at different places. I didn't know that world at all. So for me, it was very clear that it has to be a direct to consumer brand right from the word go. And we have to have a really beautiful website. We have to have a very seamless sort of payment experience, buying experience on the website right from the beginning itself. Right. So I was very, very clear about that. Yeah. And when you think about like, you know, okay, you want a website. Now a lot of people will be like, okay, let's let's create the website from scratch, right? But again, because I worked in tech, I was like, okay, you know, why would we create a website from scratch? Because this is an e-commerce website, right? Like I've done a business before this where we actually mm-hmm. created everything from scratch, but that was because it was a very, very specific business which had very specific requirements. In this case, an e-commerce website, you know, platforms like Shopify exist, which have beautiful templates. They have all of the functionality, right? And I didn't want to be creating creating a separate tech team just to be managing the website. So I was very clear that, you know, I looked at yeah. Shopify, I looked at some templates, some of them were great. I could literally manage all of it myself, have a freelancer who helped customize some of it. So literally from the beginning itself, we had a really beautiful website, an absolute, you know, uh, a payment gateway, which was completely integrated. So the whole process was very, very, you know, uh, seamless for anybody who wanted to buy online. And this I'm mm. talking we did that four years ago so yeah I mean uh, for me that's where the tech element came in that right from the beginning I was very focused that I'm not I'm not thinking like a designer where I need to stock in different places I'm thinking like someone who's created websites before who's been in tech before and you know for me it's about being able to get anyone across the world to be able to get our get our products right so hence being direct to consumer uh, direct to customer on on web was very very important and that's what we focused on from the beginning itself. Amazing. I actually like what you shared when you said we don't help. We are co-creating. We are partners. Because sometimes when you start from the place of I'm here to help, um, it can... I mean, it it can be very uh, a very different approach and not necessarily... Yeah. 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 It's not necessarily like you're looking at revenue, profit, which is what at the end of the day really matters. So coming to... uh, And I like that you started with, you know, looking at the tech payments which is where I find a lot of business can get started they have a great product offering but when it comes to payments they've still not got all the Mm -hmm. uh, pieces in right and some small business owners still don't even get the they 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 are like google pay and maybe you know bank transfer or any other challenges when you were setting up or was it like you thought about this you rolled it out (laughs) it was great from the start There were definitely challenges. I think the biggest one of which was that I lived in Hong Kong, right? And while the Mm. business, like creating the products, you know, uh, our artists were all over India, right? I mean, we, in the beginning itself, with the first collection itself, we were working with more than 10 different kinds of arts from Madhubani, Gond, Patachitra, Varli, right? Miniature art. We were actually covering more than 10 different arts in the first collection itself, literally, right? So it was quite, uh, you know, and for me, I, while I could travel very often, to India and I would do that very often but still it's not the same thing that and the other challenge was that we didn't unlike traditional design houses we didn't have a studio environment where we tell the artisans to come to that studio and and actually you know work with us in that studio we are actually going to them where they are and because again the vision is that we want to be able to you know cover as many art forms as many traditional arts as possible so we have to go where they are so literally imagine it's a distributed process where we're sending across our products to them, co-creating the artwork with them. Like, honestly, the good thing is that all of them are on WhatsApp and that's WhatsApp is literally yeah. the lowest common denominator. So, you know, we literally have 
groups on WhatsApp or our artists and, you know, we tell them that, okay, let's, let's co-create, you know, we change the color palette a little bit. We add a little modern element to the entire artwork and, you know, that makes it a little more contemporary and changes the aesthetic of, of that artwork. So yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's been a process where, you know, we've had to do a lot of that. So the challenges are, of course, the fact that I didn't live in India. So I had to find a team from the beginning itself. Right, which was, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can manage, you know, things by ourselves if we're we're in the same country. But I had to find a team. I had to trust, you know, the team that they'll be able to manage. So I had, you know, one person who's actually been with me for the last four years. He literally was the first person I hired and has been managing everything, all our operations, all our admin, all the artists know him and trust him and respect him a lot. So I think, yeah, for me, it was very clear that I'll need to have a team. I'm always thinking of it of this business from a long term perspective. So. I can't just, you know, just start it and, and you know, not not create like the legs and groundwork for it to be able to grow, right? So for me, that yeah, was important yeah. from the beginning itself that create the groundwork, whether it involves, you know, making sure that you have a team in place so that even if in the first collection, it might just be 40 bags or 50 bags, right? But it's going to grow. And with that vision in mind, you have to put the groundwork in place. So yeah, I mean, I, I've tried to do that since the beginning itself, but um, it was definitely challenging. Yeah. That it was a physical product and not being, you know, in the country where it's being made, obviously, that that was quite a challenge. Yeah, I would imagine that's quite challenging. So you set up, set up the team even before you launched. So did you have like a launch phase or uh, was it very organic? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the first collection, like I said, we literally just did like 40 or 50 handbags. Uh, we covered about, you know nine to ten different art forms in that created beautiful postcards nice packaging and but the marketing and the sales of that first collection was completely organic actually uh, it was mm. all word of mouth and all of it was sold out within weeks in fact right so i think the okay. first collection it was a short it was a small collection but the good thing was that it was a proof of concept and it was a clear mm. indication that and at that point honestly our prices were also slightly higher they were in the 200 to 300 dollar price range so I often say that, okay. you know, friends love me, but, you know, some of my friends are not buying it because they love me. They actually like the product, right? Like they wouldn't be spending $300 on a product just because they're my friends, right? I mean, yeah. and then people were coming back to buy more as well. They'd like, okay, now I've got something for myself. I want something to gift to my mom. I want something to give to my sister because they're just beautiful products. And there's a story to tell with each of our products, right? Like who made it, what form it is, yeah. how this art form, this artist has been doing this for so many generations, so yes, it was that launch phase, uh, but we took it as a proof of concept that clearly this works and this has legs and, you know, it, it can become, it can become a proper business. Okay. And so I don't know if my next question is relevant. Did you have like a big startup cost or uh, uh, it was just bootstrapped and... It's a, it's, we're still bootstrapped. We've been bootstrapped since the beginning itself, but I have been putting in money uh, and investment mm. into the business. And I think... Because I come from fintech, I still have been doing a lot of fintech consulting, but I've been using what I earned from the consulting to put it into the business. So mm. there's definitely cost because especially, uh, I mean, while over the last one year, our business has changed a bit and we'll talk about that. But at least in the first three years, it was all product focused, right? So which which means like yeah. every time we're launching a new collection, there's investment that goes into that collection, into that inventory, right? Into like paying the artists, into creating the packaging and, and all of that, you know, uh, the marketing of that as well right so every every collection is an is an investment and we we were launching collections literally every you know two to three months we were launching a new collection actually so okay. you'll see on our website that we have loads of different styles yeah. of your 
bags and and artwork along with them so yes definitely there was there was a cost but i i i i think i'm privileged enough to that i was able to bootstrap it because i was earning and i was investing that into the business so yeah so that that, that definitely helped but yes there was definitely i think when you want to create a brand uh, which is you know long lasting uh, investing into that brand from the beginning itself is important i still feel we haven't done enough we actually need to do more to invest into the brand but we i tried doing that from the beginning itself like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now Stay tuned as we take a quick break and we'll see you on the other side of the show. Yeah, I like this uh, that you're sharing this because a lot of people feel, you know, let me do this much um, then use the money, the revenue that we make from having those sales to grow the next one, which is of course um, how yeah. a lot of businesses probably get started, but there is an investment. A lot of business owners think that I can't invest more than this or that investment is spent on things maybe uh, that you don't need in the first year, maybe on the f- first two years. Yeah. So how did you then find your clients? Yes, the first collection may have been mm-hmm. friends and family, but moving yeah. on, how did you grow your brand marketing and how did you find customers and patrons? Because I know you refer to them as patrons. I saw that on your website. Yes, yeah, we always refer to them as patrons because they are patrons of the art, right? They're not just a customer. Uh, how yeah. do we find our customers? So I think at the beginning, because people who bought from us, a lot of them actually, you know, used to post pro- the pictures of them carrying our product and tag us. That used to actually lead to a lot of organic growth at the mm-hmm. beginning, right? I mean, because when you tag people, when you tag a brand on Facebook, initially organic growth on Facebook was actually easier. Like now it's much harder, but initially it was definitely four years ago, I would say it was quite, you know, much easier. And we would encourage people to do that. And I think because of the kind of product it is Mm -hmm. and the story that it has, it is that story is so strong that people actually feel, they feel like culturally aware. They feel, you know, good about buying something from us because they feel actually that, you know, this is, going into preserving heritage is going into preserving culture that that story is so strong that people would write about it and they would post you know beautiful pictures and and tag us and that would actually lead to more sales for us Mm. as well so I think the first you know seven eight months was very very organic that we were you know able to grow organically quite Mm. easily I think the other good thing that we've been able to do is uh, and this is again like you know we've been doing this for the last two years already that we've tried to create uh, some signature lifestyle events around our brand as well that in Hong Kong, we actually mm. hosted an event called uh, Kalyani, the first Women in Indian Arts Festival. And we've done a festival called Katha, which mm. is the first Indian wall mural festival, right? So this is, you know, we're positioning ourselves as almost as cultural custodians that, you know, with Kalyani, we actually mm. invited like 19 artists to come from India to Hong Kong and perform. And it was like a two-day festival of all, all women artists, basically, you know, uh, performances mm. by women artists. And even like, you know, some of our artists were painters, paint, they're painting exhibits and them doing workshops in Hong Kong. So I think that really helped position us as that not just a fashion brand, but a culture mm brand right yeah so which was interesting because at that time we weren't even thinking of you know any anything else we were still like an artisanal fashion brand but for me it was the culture aspect was always so important that we were always like trying to create the brand around that and i think while it might need not lead to direct sales but you know when 500 people come and attend an event where you're front and center it leaves yeah. them you know that your name is there in their subconscious and they kind of think about it later when they go back and you could you're collaborating with other organizations so you have access yeah. to you know their uh, client base that their customers as well which 
are sort of a similar mindset and aesthetic again because they focused yeah. on culture so i think that creating these signature events collaborating with other you know organizations which had people who had a similar mindset that also really helped as well a um, little bit i mean we've not been great at influencer marketing but we've done some bits of it where you know okay. sort of working with influencers again whose aesthetic is similar who support our indian arts and crafts and support indian culture when they post about it it immediately kind of leads to an increase you know in followers it leads yeah. to like queries and sales and fam sales as well so i think that that bit helps as well but yeah for us definitely organic was the way to go or, or like people you know organic growth with similar people collaborations and creating these signature events and honestly uh, we've been doing paid marketing as well like i've never shied away from paid marketing uh, running a paid facebook ads you know doing proper targeting and making sure that we can actually reach people yeah. uh, who yeah. are our target customers we've we've, we've definitely spent uh, money on on doing paid marketing as well yeah yeah i think that's something that's also important for people to know that you do organic but there's also got to be the uh, the push that you have to do as a brand invest yeah. in uh, paid ads and they do they do give a return on investment at some point maybe not yeah. immediately but eventually and but so i want to ask you yeah you have to keep optimizing that's for sure because I, i and i think that's quite important that even though you might not be an expert so i'm not an expert i'm definitely not an expert in paid marketing but i've had someone who works as a freelancer with us who actually is an expert but you know obviously we need to make sure that i'm sitting you know every week you know we do a call once a week and we make sure we go through the numbers is the yeah. sort of ros like if we're spending x amount are we getting at least 3x in sales or not or 4x in sales or not there must be some benchmark that we need to follow so i think that focus is quite important again i'm not great at it i'm trying to get better at it like making sure that you know we're always tracking and i think just making sure that you're tracking your numbers is definitely quite important so yeah i mean with paid marketing that's that's definitely a very important thing because you need to keep iterating them yeah yeah i i also believe in having a certain percentage of your marketing efforts on a uh, paid as well uh, yeah. or even paid pr influencer marketing performance right. marketing yeah. all of that and so what did you plan for that went well and mm-hmm. what didn't go well that you you had this plan that i'm going to do abc things when i start uh, but what didn't go according to plan because plans you know Uh, they look good on paper sometimes but the ground <laughs> reality is different yeah. and all business owners yeah. face this so in your uh, with you and me miraki what was one of these or couple of these things that happened i think what went well is uh, that the people that who bought from us actually did love the product you know they always refer us to others i feel though that the growth of that part of the business which is the you know artisanal hand painted handbags wasn't up to the target that i had kept in mind actually right like i would have wanted it to grow much faster and much bigger uh, in the first three years itself mm. but for me i yeah, yeah. I, i feel like it didn't grow as quickly as i wanted it to and again i think because i came from a background where you know with tech products literally you know there's an inflection curve and you said su- when suddenly you hit a growth curve and you know then everything grows really crazily like we had 1 million users for our previous for my previous startup yeah. right 1 million downloads of our app yeah. in my head i always kept feeling okay this is not growing fast enough this is not growing fast enough so i feel like that part i was always worried about that with the handbags business with the hand painted handbags business while people loved it and that really went well but 
I would have wanted it to grow faster. So a couple of things that we tried, like we actually had a retail store in Hong Kong that we shared with another brand. While it wasn't, you know, something I'd ever done before, but, you know, I thought, okay, maybe, you know, while we're doing everything online anyway, maybe we need to try the retail side as well, because maybe our product is such that people need to come and see it and experience it. And that's when they mm. see how different it is. So we tried all that as well. But um, yeah, I again, like I feel that all of those things in my head are very non-scalable. Uh, it's fine. Great to have a store, but, and I did it, but um, yeah, I, I don't think it's something mm. that again like if, especially like not not something where it's completely dedicated to me and I have to spend time unless you know after a few years we become a much yeah. bigger brand and then we start having a retail presence that's different but as a smaller brand trying to be trying to create a retail presence I think was a was 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 not a great idea and it was honestly it was a waste of time and effort yeah okay okay interesting because a lot of people go through those iterations and you see yeah. what works and don't work so pandemic 2020 yes. and then oh my god bang <laughs> in the middle of growing your business and the pandemic hit what how did you manage during the pandemic were there any changes pivots you had to make mm-hmm. uh, walk us through that uh, so the pandemic has changed our business completely actually and uh, interestingly it's it's taken us in a good direction it's taken us in a in a very interesting direction actually so when the pandemic hit March, April last year, honestly, our sales obviously tanked. Like who wanted to buy a handbag in the beginning of the pandemic, right? Like nobody was going out. Everyone's conserving money as well. And, you know, obviously this is more of a luxury item. So why would anybody, you know, waste Mm. uh, spend money in buying that? So obviously our sales tanked. And what I saw is that while, you know, sure, I can keep investing in money and we can keep running the business, but our artists, our artist partners were really struggling more because... Mm. uh, Obviously, we weren't giving them enough work, but we're not, you know, they obviously, you know, sell their paintings also, which is which is quite important uh, overall in their livelihood. But uh, no paintings were being sold at that time because yeah. no exhibitions were happening. There was no tourism. And those are the two main channels for being able to sell paintings. Right. And that's when we thought, OK, we need to think of something which can help, you know, not just uh, reinvent ourselves, but kind mm-hmm. of. Know, enable us to make sure that the artist partners we have we can actually make sure that you know we can help we can generate revenue for ourselves and for them right so when I thought about okay what's our biggest asset the fact is that our artists are our biggest assets right like their talent the fact that they've been doing this over generations people want to see it people want to get like experience mm. that is actually you know what the biggest asset we have so we launched um, online art workshops with our artists actually in the yeah. beginning of the pandemic in April last year. In fact, the first workshop was literally my family. I told everyone, and my family is all across the world. I told everyone that you have to, you know, pay for this workshop and sign up and, and join this workshop and paint along with the artist and learn from the artist because this mm-hmm. will help me figure out how to position, you know, create these online workshops basically. And since then, there's literally been no looking back. We've done over yeah. 400 workshops uh, in this period. Wow. Um, by wow. thousands of people across the world a lot from india but a lot from across the world as well a lot from the us uk you know even australia hong kong a little bit singapore france you know you name the country and i think we would have had attendees from that country actually so i feel like mm. this actually enabled our mission if my mission you know is a is is to you know take heritage arts and crafts from india to start with to the world and provide stage to these arts and arts so actually this enables us to do that in an even bigger way than mm-hmm. uh, than our handbags hand painted hand 
this could ever do actually right so yes the pandemic has actually been an interesting time for us it's uh, it's uh, taken us on a completely different path and journey but uh, it's uh, i think i think it's an interesting uh, path okay so my question is before the pandemic you never thought of doing um, art workshops or these online workshops correct it wasn't yeah. a no we oh, hadn't wow. so, although uh, because of the lifestyle events uh, the signature events that we had done kalyani and katha mm -hmm. we did a bit of it and i could, i had seen at that time that there's definitely a market for it you know people are very interested in in these experiences basically right these heritage and cultural experiences mm. where they're learning about their culture as well so i had seen a little bit of that so i think at somewhere at the back of my mind it was there that you know this is something we need to explore and again the fact that i i'm i'm not from a design background as such uh, i you know for me yeah. my, the idea and the whole you know purpose of doing this was that i wanted to create something where uh, it, it it takes these arts to a you know to a, it gives these arts a new life and and mm. you know provide these arts right so uh i was i'm not wedded to the idea of you know only creating handbags honestly i am happy to take the business in whichever direction can mm -hmm. help overall mission right so my overall mission is clear and i'm happy to take you know the business in any 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 direction which which uh, fulfills that mission in a bigger way yeah i think uh, you know during the pandemic uh, a lot of people had to make a lot of uh, changes to their business and i think this is a true example of what pivoting kind of means so today yeah. from having just one revenue stream um it's a good it's a fair thing to say that you actually have two revenue streams you have oh, the workshops as well and that's not going to go away and the thing is along with the art workshops then we've also added the artist paintings on our website like we never thought of doing that earlier but you know at the end of every workshop people would be like oh when the, the artist would like give a tour of their studio and show their paintings and mm. every like oh wow like we want to buy these paintings right and again like for an artist to deal with so many different customers you know how to collect payments how to market to these customers it's difficult right so if you look at our yeah. website we actually probably have the biggest curated collection of traditional art in india as well now i mean again any traditional art form you'll find beautiful paintings curated you know by our team and uh, and you know from each each of these artists we work with from 150 plus artists now on our website so that's that's a revenue source as well and wow. uh, the other thing with the art workshops is that while earlier we were only doing painting workshops now it's become about all heritage arts and crafts mm. so sometimes like you know if it's something like kantha which is an embroidery form or sujani which is an embroidery form or tanjore in which gold sheets are used now there's very traditional materials required for this which people would not have access to so yeah. along with that workshop we're actually creating these you know art kits for mm. each of the workshops as well which people are buying directly from us as well right Amazing. so in that again another revenue source not just for us but for the artists as well because for most of these you know workshops we're actually sourcing from the artists directly yeah i i think this is like a real true example of you know literally delivering to the customer what they yeah. need like you want to do the workshop but i don't have the material so i you're making it easy and this is something that i really believe and i think you are living it like with me miraki it's it's yeah. it's an example it's a live example of if customers can't find the materials they're not going to be yeah. part of the yeah. workshops but if you're giving it to them it makes it so much easier so i love this and i think what you've built what you've grown i saw the paintings amazing paintings it's it's really a, a great job by you and your team and of course the artisans i just like to add something here because you know earlier we spoken about marketing so yeah. i i want to add something over here about the marketing bit that here is actually when i've discovered the true power of community right mm -hmm. i mean 
now is when i realize what community building actually means what the power of community actually means and listening to your community what that actually means because literally how you're saying right that you know yeah. customers told us that oh can you help us you know with these materials and be like okay we need to get into doing art kits then you know customers told us okay can you help you know we want to do this workshop right we want we want to learn this art form and you know we're like okay we're going to go and find you know an artist who we can work with for teaching you this art form right so literally now it's we we literally have a facebook group where we have a thousand plus people these are some of our you know best patrons mm-hmm. uh, while it's been you know thousands who have attended the workshop but this is a group of people who have been like very very you know closely associated with the workshops and we keep asking questions there people keep answering and based on that we keep you know re-strategizing keep adding you know features and keep adding workshops based on that as well and with and the really nice thing is that we have some of the biggest super users as well so imagine we have people who attended 60 workshops with us 50 workshops with us right which is intense like imagine wow. somebody and you know you know 60 different art workshops with us right and with most of these super users i'm actually personally in touch with them as well and again i try and make sure that i constantly keep asking them you know what keeps you coming back to us what what else do you want us to do what what other art form would you like to learn right so that's something i'm constantly doing which is where i feel like i think now we are finally being able to leverage the true power of community which we never had in the earlier i mean we had people who loved our work but actually coming together as a community i think yeah that's that's something we finally been able to learn and do now yeah not only an example of a great uh, pivot that you made during pandemic but i think this is also a great example of your product market fit because yeah. you're constantly listening to your customers speaking to them and then you're creating stuff that they need and bringing it to them bringing them access to stuff that they want right or to art that they want so yeah. amazing i think you've done some fabulous work yusha so what's next what is next for you and me miraki what's the yeah i think now like i said our mission has become a much bigger mission that uh, we call us uh, the culture tech platform a culture tech platform now where um, we want to reimagine mm-hmm. future of the whole artisan economy right that we want to be able to make sure that every artisanal art form can actually you know be put to the world stage through through our platform mm. so what's next for us is we are actually looking at also think of it as masterclass but for traditional arts and crafts that while we'll have live yeah. workshops but we actually want to like almost create these beautiful pre-recorded you know sort of masterclasses for these arts and crafts as well so we're in the process of doing that and creating the tech platform for that as well uh, which will then enable us to reach you know the creative sort of audience anywhere in the world so imagine like you know somebody living somewhere else in the world who wants to just experience a new you know art form but now because they have subtitles we'll have translations they'll actually be able to do that with this masterclass so yeah that's what is next and um, i think uh, yeah now you know we want to actually make this into a big big scalable business so earlier when i used to think in thousands of customers now i want to mm. actually like millions of customers i want to make think of you know thousands of artists that that we can work with an impact and create impact with so yes uh, big plans Yeah I I love the vision it's like big hairy audacious uh, uh-huh. goals but my one question is is it always going to be only indian art or do you plan to add other art forms definitely from other countries we definitely plan to add other arts as well in fact i mean if you think of it every part of the world has beautiful art like i'm in australia right now aboriginal art is beautiful right yes. in fact yes there's like such similarities between aboriginal art from australia and gondar art okay 
and go in India actually right then Vietnam has beautiful lacquer paintings Myanmar has lacquer paintings as well you know Indonesia has its batik and tie and dye every part of the world basically has beautiful art Islamic art is beautiful right so definitely we uh, I think my dream is definitely to uh, to become you know the culture tech platform of the world wow yeah I think that'd be so interesting because no one has thought to you know put everything every yeah. art form under one yeah. umbrella and now you're uh, that's the vision so yeah um, I'm going to be cheering you on and um, with that we have a couple more questions uh, mm-hmm. for you before I let you go this has been a very interesting conversation so what does a day in your life look like like you are based in a different country you're yes. doing this <laughs> what's the behind the scenes yeah. I love listening to behind the scenes Behind the scenes is interesting because I'm in Australia, which is four and a half hours ahead of India. So my team comes online at like 9.30, 10-ish India time, which is mm. 2.30 for me. So I, I do try and like, you know, obviously, I mean, in Australia, there's a lot of, uh, everything is very DIY. You have to do everything yourself. So a lot of home chores, my dog, yeah. you know, all of that. I, I try and wrap that, that up in the morning. But also... Um, because I mean, actually, the team's also gotten quite big now. We have, you know, six to seven full-time people. We have a couple of freelancers. And we actually always have a team of interns working with us as well. We we have like seven interns along wow. with mm. full-time people and two freelancers as well. So there's obviously lots of different moving pieces going on. So what I try and do is like, you know, every day have like a very quick daily stand-up with the tech, you know, interns who are working on the website and who are working on, on the tech platform, then have a daily, you know, call with the team as well. Again, everybody, so that everybody can just discuss what their priorities for the day are and everyone knows, you know, uh, and also I think I want everyone to know what everyone's working on because we're not mm. all in the same place anymore. Everyone's working remotely. So it's important that we see each other's faces every day and we kind of know what everyone's working on. Then every day is kind of a little different in terms of one day we'll have, you know, maybe a paid marketing focused call. One day we'll have a, you know, social media focused call. So every day is at least a couple of, you know, calls with the team uh, focused mm. on strategy, focused on uh, analytics, on numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And I like, if I think about like, where is my time best spent? Because now there's which is doing the rest of the work, right? My time, I, I try and spend a little more time sort of in the business development, you know, so we're trying to build out the corporate uh, workshop uh, uh, part of our business as well. We've actually had, you know, bigger organizations like LinkedIn reach out to us to do corporate workshops for them. And mm-hmm. we've done that. So I think there's clear market there as well. So trying to spend a little more time doing that, you know, obviously hiring is always something I'm thinking about as well, because actually I'm really happy with the quality of interns and the kind of work they're doing with us, you know? So I think yeah. I spend a lot of time on like always having a, you know, hiring program on for getting interns on board who can, because younger people always come with such new ideas as well. Right. I mean, which I feel is really nice that every four months we have a new batch, you know, of people coming in and they come up with new ideas and, and newer, you know, ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. So I spend some time, you know, very regularly on hiring and interviewing uh, interns as well. Okay. And yeah, so that's that's pretty much uh, what my day is like. A little bit of little bit of everything. Yeah, but I think that's that's a lot, right? That you are managing. <laughs> so, do you feel do you miss the fintech world? I mean, I know you still have like you could still consult. Yeah, and... I, I I mean, yeah, I I do have my fingers in a few fintech projects uh, here and there, but not too much. Do I miss it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, no, I don't actually. I uh, I think because the thing is that fintech is so deeply embedded into everything you do yeah. that even 
doing right now? I mean, everything is fintech at the end of the day, right? That I have to make sure that, you know, how are my artists getting paid? Uh, can we make the process for paying them easier instead of doing these bank transfers that we do mm. to them? You know, so these are things which are constantly going on in my head as well. So I think uh, fintech literally, I mean, okay. everything is fintech, right? So it's constantly part of, you know, this work as well. While this is, you know, an arts business, arts focused business, but at the end of the day, it's an e-commerce platform. It has fintech embedded in it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think because it, it's there as part of my work anyway, but um, if, if, if you actually ask me, do I miss working in the world of fintech? Honestly, no, I, I love what, what, what we're doing right now. I love what we're building. I feel it's something which has never been done before. We're literally yeah. pretty Unique. much pioneers in, in trying to do this it's hard it's a tough problem to solve and um, yeah so I, I'm really enjoying building this it brings together everything that I love art tech impact so yeah I I, I love building this yeah I think I and it shows your passion is very evident and also it's something unique like this is something that hasn't like I haven't heard of uh, a business that. like this yeah it, it absolutely hasn't been done before yeah so yeah you're like you're innovating you're a true innovator in this space and with that I want to ask you what's a mantra you live by like how do you deal with every entrepreneur's challenges how do you deal with that is there some some tips that you can share yeah for me I think the the only tip is that change is inevitable right I mean what we're doing today will not be relevant tomorrow. What uh, what we're doing tomorrow will not be relevant, you know, afterwards. So I think for me, just sort of making sure that while I might have five-year ambitions, three-year ambitions, but at the end of the day, we have to just, you know, keep changing, keep iterating and keep going forward. And uh, yeah, change is the only inevitable thing. And would that be your advice for other female entrepreneurs who are watching uh, or we're listening to this podcast right now. What would your advice be for uh, <sighs> at least three three things that you must do before you start or while you start your business? I think one biggest thing is I, we need to learn to put ourselves out there and talk about what we're doing. In fact, I would say while I did a lot of that earlier, I haven't been doing enough of that in the last you know year, year and a half for sure. Mm. Um, and I've seen that with most women entrepreneurs as well, that we shy away from, you know, talking too much about what we're doing. And even as women employees, honestly, I think most of us believe that if we're doing good work, we'll be seen and, you know, work will shine through instead of us talking about it. So I think, you know, it's required. We have to talk about what we're doing. We have to make, you know, it is big. Whatever we're doing is, 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 is big. Whatever we might be working on, the new ideas we're working on. So I think instead of making it smaller, we have to make it bigger. We have to like put ourselves out there and talk about it. So I think that's my piece of advice. Just making sure, and I think you know, most people would give this advice, right? That network enough, surround yourselves with people who support your vision, you know, people who can amplify your voice, people who can put you in touch with others, you know, who can help support your vision as well. So I think just, yeah, just making sure we network enough, yeah. enough people talk and again I've not been doing enough of that I think sometimes it's time to like you know heads down just work so you know I guess we've been yeah. in that been heads down and working and now it's coming to a point where yeah it's it's a phase where I do need to do more of you know talking about what we're doing which is what we're doing right now <laughs> thanks for yeah. and yeah, yeah working enough and making sure you know you you have a solid you know group of people backing you yeah I think uh, this has been a very interesting conversation because often a lot of businesses it's 
it's someone else doing it a different way but yours is something that's never been done so I'm very excited for your journey <laughs> and uh, it's been amazing and we hope we can continue to uh, support uh, the the whole um, community of uh, artisans I won't say that I'm a big I don't think I ever thought that I can do art. I'm really bad at drawing, but yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. It's actually, you know, it fits in really well into the whole wellness and, and uh, yeah. you know, test relieving uh, category as well, which is why so many corporates are reaching out to us to do corporate art workshops, because especially like Madhubani art, it's very repetitive. There's repetitive mm. pattern. And you, literally all you need is a black pen and, and paper, honestly, and you'll be able to create beautiful art. Trust me. <laughs> taking up you taking you up on that maybe i'll be at one of your workshops yeah. and with that we come to the end of the interview thank you so very much all the best to this BHAG goal of yours and i hope uh, i i'm i know you will achieve it and i can't wait to see um, how me miraki grows in the world and all the best to you and thank you for being and sharing your uh, journey with us today thank you so much for having me this has been fun it really helps to actually talk about it because i think yeah when you hear yourself talk about it your goals you know sound sound like okay this is exciting i can do it so thank you for yeah. having me you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success. This Hubhopper original ko sunne ke liye aapka shukriya. Agar aap bhi apna podcast launch karna chahte hain, to Hubhopper Studio website pe register kare aur ek minute ke andar andar apna khud ka podcast launch kare. यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कंटेंट